Welcome to the Doc Talks podcast, a conversation on what's new and relevant in the world of Canadian medicine and hospital healthcare. I'm your host, Ian Gillespie, and I'm here to ask the questions and find the answers you need to know. We want to help our listeners know how to prevent and detect illness and how to navigate our healthcare system. Be sure to subscribe to the Doc Talks podcast to stay up to date on new episodes and follow us on Twitter at St. Joseph's London or visit sjhc.london.on.ca slash podcast. Hello, I'm Ian Gillespie. Welcome to the Doc Talks podcast, brought to you by St. Joseph's Healthcare London. Inside all of us are a bunch of tiny squiggly microbes that help our immune system judge friend from foe. They break down and absorb nutrients and protect us from pathogens. Numerous studies have proven our gut flora, made up of these microorganisms, is tied to virtually every process in our body. Various diseases and conditions can affect our body's microbiome, and one way we can help bring balance back is through probiotics. Today, I'm talking to Dr. Jeremy Burton, a scientist and director of the Canadian Centre for Human Microbiome and Probiotics, based at St. Joseph's Healthcare London's Lawson Health Research Institute. He's also an associate professor in the Division of Urology, Department of Surgery, and cross-appointed to the Department of Microbiology and Immunology at Western University. He's been studying the human microbiome and probiotics for more than 20 years, and he has a PhD in microbiology and immunology from the University of Otago in New Zealand. Dr. Burton, thanks for joining us today. My pleasure, and lovely to be here. So, probiotics, do I have this right? Little bacteria in my stomach that makes things better. Is that at all accurate? <laughs> not, not, not entirely technically right, but that's all right. A lot of people think of it like that, and that's, that's okay. So we do have a lot of microbes within us, and not just bacteria, fungi and, and yeast and viruses, um, and that's all perfectly normal. So we don't need to panic about that. And there's probably as many of them as there are cells of our own body. And so, you know, they actually do perform, you know, some quite useful tasks. And we need them to survive, in fact. We, we don't develop our immune system properly if we don't have them. We don't digest food properly if we don't have them. We get some of our vitamins only from them, in fact. And th there's many, many other uses for them. So... Probiotics actually, by definition, are termed live microbes when conferred in a known amount that provides a beneficial effect. So you can go to a lot of health food shops and supermarkets and you can see probiotics sold. So these are usually one strain or two strains or, or types of bacteria or yeast uh, that have been purified Often they have come from either isolates from our own intestinal system or from dairy isolates. And, <laughs> and the idea of those is to give them and they have some sort of beneficial effect. So a true probiotic, you know, is a characterized microbe that we give and it has a beneficial effect. So 
it's not technically right to say that there's probiotics in fermented foods or in within us or these different places because they don't have proven health benefits. They're very important and probably good for us, but there's a little bit more to it than that. Microbiome. Can you define that for me? Yeah, so, so that is all the bacteria and the yeasts and the fungi and the viruses and all their products that they produce because they're producing um, you know, all these amazing products. They've got collectively something like a hundred times the genetic material that, you know, our own chromosomes have. They're really well geared to produce different things. And it lives within us, you know, basically. So all these microbes within us, and it just has a profound health impact upon us. And really, we've treated the microbiome as a waste product. And it's far beyond mm. just being a waste product. We need to look after what goes on in our GI tract. And although we don't like talking about, you know, what comes out the other end, it's been, you know, incredibly potent thing for us. It's almost like another organ in our own right. And we've ignored this organ. In fact, we've tried to kill it in some regards. So I think that we need to change our perception of, you know, how we treat it. And so we, we really need to look after it. So, but probiotics I, I, is something that I can normally get from a, a natural source, yes, like yogurt is, you know, or a whole grain or something? Yogurt is a fermented food, and, and you do get probiotic <laughs> yogurt. You did right, Ian, for sure. And so if you look at true probiotic yogurt, people have done studies with it to prove the benefits. They know what bugs are in there. They know how many you need to have the health benefit, and they've done studies to prove it. And that's a true probiotic. So other than okay. if it's not proven, it's a fermented food, basically. And I'm not saying that fermented foods don't have a benefit. I'm actually a staunch believer in fermented foods and their importance in our diet. But the technical definition of, of probiotics is that they've got to be shown to have a benefit. They've got to have some sort of you know, scientific substantiation behind them. That's really important. And so, you know, probiotics have entered the mainstream vocabulary, obviously. And it's really good that people have become aware of them because 10 years ago, no one knew what probiotics were. No one knew what the microbiome was. So that's a good thing. But there is a real technical definition behind them. And uh, it's important that we sort of stick to that a little bit because then we can start to compare which ones work for which conditions. And we, we give a little bit of scientific substantiation behind what they potentially do. And then we can start to give them specifically for specific health issues. And we, we can give some good guidance. So you're saying that the probiotics that I would buy over the counter, like I have a bottle right here, 15 mm -hmm. billion, mm -hmm. 10 probiotic strains. You're saying that it hasn't been sort of conclusively proven that they're beneficial? So so some strains have been very conclusively demonstrated that they're okay. beneficial, but not all strains. Just because someone puts some bacteria in a bottle at 15 billion number mm -hmm. doesn't mean that that's going to help you. I think that we need to eat microbes, and I think that they're very important, but probiotic, by definition, you know, it needs to be characterized 
for what it actually really does. So I'm not saying that that won't help you, but I'm saying that if you truly want to get the benefits that are proven, you need to stick mm. to sort of strains that have been shown to do that. So it's interesting because, you know, probiotics started off very much as pseudoscience, and this is the problem that we've had. Oh. So people have marketed things without doing the appropriate investigations behind them. Mm and made claims that weren't necessarily true. So what we're trying to do now is, you know, actually almost put it into the realm of a drug in that, you know, it needs to have that substantiation behind it to prove that they really work. So there's different levels of proof, obviously. You know, sometimes we run large clinical studies and they're the best things. But there's also other little things that we can do in the laboratory to model how these would potentially work or, you know, some people you test them in animals and other things like that. But yeah, the, the more information behind them, the more truly probiotic they are. So, sorry, you said that we, we should stick to certain strains that, that have been proven to be beneficial. So what, what strains are those? How does an individual know or, or find out sort of what type of probiotic is best for their condition. Yeah, so so there's a myriad of, of strains available okay. now on the Canadian market, and that's the clinical guide to probiotic products, which has been put out. It started off in Canada, and actually the Americans have adopted it. It comes out every year. It's updated, and it has uh, lists of products that are available in Canada and their dosage and the strains and actually what studies have been done to support the conditions that they're recommended for. So that's the best place to start. I mean, if you have a specific ailment that you're interested in. Dr. Burton, is that available online? Just to... That's available online. So if you're a quick uh, Google search of clinical guide to probiotic products in Canada, will bring that up. So... You can't believe that it's a miracle cure for everything. I mean, there's reasons why these work. So they improve intestinal permeability and they do other things and and have immune benefits. And, and specific strains have been shown clinically in products. So you want to make sure that you're using the same product, you know, the same strains, the same product at the same dose to get those specific benefits. But what I'm not saying is that there are obviously many probiotics available. And I don't think that they're bad for you. I think they're probably quite good for you. It's just that their benefits are yet to be fully proven. Right. Okay. There's also prebiotics. Can you explain mm -hmm. what those are? Yeah. So, I mean, ideally, if you eat a good diet, you should have a healthy microbiota, right? So all the okay. bugs within us. And so, you know, food... Obviously, it's made up of different macromolecules and and some of those uh, molecules are for us and some of them are actually for our bacteria. And so prebiotics are usually carbohydrates that we don't utilize ourselves. They travel further into the intestinal tract and they're actually utilized by our microbes for our benefit and to promote our microbes. So that's what prebiotics are. So there's a variety of prebiotics made from different things on the market. Some, you know, dairy-based, some are plant-based. So examples would be inulin, which people probably have heard of, 
phos or fructooligosaccharides. These are plant-derived things from chicory and, and onion, and uh, they're known to promote these beneficial bacteria. But actually, the, the whole process starts with our mums and breastfeeding because human breast milk is actually absolutely jam-packed with these things, hundreds, in fact, to specifically promote certain bacteria. So it actually starts there. So some foods have their own prebiotic properties, but um, you can also supplement with some of these purified derivatives, and that's what prebiotics are. So um, let's uh, ignore the sort of over-the-counter supplements that we can buy right now, but what what foods should we focus on eating to, to get a, a sort of a natural source of probiotics and prebiotics? Yeah, a, a number of fruit and vegetables contain uh, prebiotics, and I, I mentioned things like you know, onion and garlic are, mm-hmm. are well known, but you know, a number of fruits will will have uh, prebiotics uh, within them. You know, essentially, these are complex carbohydrates that we don't take in ourselves, and they they travel down further into the intestinal tract. So, some of our research at the moment is also looking at some of the prebiotics are made in fermented foods. So, we haven't touched on fermented foods yet, but Obviously, fermented foods are transformed by microbes as well. And they're they're transformed, and when we consume them, we actually eat some more microbes too, and that's potentially good. And and some of those may have probiotic effects, as as we, we talked about, but some are proven and some aren't. But actually, a lot of those metabolic products during the process of transforming that food have prebiotic benefits for other microbes in our system. So, you know, some examples I think might be things like apple cider vinegar, you know, which is a, a byproduct of microbial fermentation. And, and it's obviously very popular in the, the health food industry at the moment. And we, we actually have some studies on that underway at the moment and actually not using the raw form of apple cider vinegar, but you can actually get a dried form that goes in a capsule. And we're interested in the deeper delivery of that product to give benefits, the fermented food benefits to people. Because a lot of people actually don't like fermented foods in our society. So that that's one part of research that we're undertaking at the moment. I mean, that there's, there's all sorts of fermented food from different parts of the world, and, and some of it is beneficial in that, uh, you know, microbes produce vitamins and stuff like that, and that is in those foods. So that, that is some, some of the the benefit of consuming some of those foods. But there's many different varieties from different around the world, from soy fermented products to animal to vegetable. So we know the sauerkrauts and the kimchis. But you might be less familiar with some of the, you know, soya bean ones like natto, which is loved in places like Japan. But starting to gain popularity here in North America because of its health benefits. And we know that Certainly, a lot of vitamins are produced by that product. We hear sometimes that, that pickles and, and maybe pickle juice are, are good for our gut. Now, but pickles aren't technically fermented. So can you talk a little bit about that? So again, back to definitions. And if you look at the official definitions, like they say that brined vegetables are not fermented foods, right? But but I actually think there's a huge benefit from brined vegetables because what, what they're doing is they're taking a fermentation product, which is vinegar, and they're putting it with the, the food, 
that vinegar actually goes in and that that vinegar i i think is quite beneficial and and why it's beneficial is because it doesn't get released until later on in the intestinal tract which is different because if you just drink vinegar goes straight into your bloodstream, right? But in fermented food, it goes further down and then other bacteria can utilize that. It's obviously much more complicated than the average person realizes. Are there any dangers or or negative consequences from taking some kind of over-the-counter probiotic or prebiotic? I I think that there's always a danger, but the, the actual reality, you know, the odds of any danger is very low. So probiotics actually have a very safe reputation for delivery. Very few people have gotten sick. Some people have gotten sick, but typically they have been, you know, highly immune compromised. And in reality, these people are highly susceptible to even from, you know, getting microbes from themselves or, you know, close people or the risk is probably the same as eating any fermented product like cheese or salami. It's just been unfortunate. So, you know, probiotics are very, very safe, the ones that are bought over the counter. A lot of safety testing has gone into probiotics, many probiotic strains. Uh, There was a worry when probiotics started to become more popular. But, yeah, the actual side effects have been relatively quite low and people have taken large doses without any adverse effects. So, you know, that there is some concern when people make things at home themselves. So when I, if I mentioned fermented food, we, we, there's always some dangers of not doing things hygienically or, or properly. So fermented foods, you know, have on occasion caused some slight problems to people. But by and large, the risk is low. And what exactly, what are the benefits of, if we get the, the acceptable probiotic and so forth, like is this, is it going to improve digestion? Are, are these things been proven? Is it going to boost immunity? What, what actually, how does it help us? Yeah, so, so that's a great question because, you know, some things we just want general benefits, right? So people ask, should I take a probiotic every day? You know, is that going to improve my health? Yes or no? It's an interesting question. So I think we're designed to eat microbes every day. So if you look at studies that people do with uh, simple systems, like we use fruit flies, for example, in the laboratory, and if you stop those fruit flies from getting a regular source of new microbes, they don't live as long. You know, so we're a lot more complicated than a fruit fly. Our microbiome is a lot more complicated. And so common sense would dictate that we probably need to eat microbes every day, whether that's, you know, a true probiotic benefit. But we do need to to eat microbes. We're designed to eat microbes. So probiotics have some non-general benefits, that's for sure. Some probiotic fermented yogurts, for example. We know that they're, they're good at improving certain conditions like constipation and speeding things along. We know that, you know, people have done studies and general immune benefits from eating uh, probiotic products. But then we sort of start to look at specific things. So whether that's to do with recurrent urinary tract infection, we know that, you know, women that take certain types of probiotics can reduce things like urinary tract infections, bacterial vaginosis. So then we start to look at diseases more specifically. So... 
that's why I talked earlier on about you know knowing the strain, knowing the dose, knowing the format of that product because those studies are being done by people and you can see whether or not they're likely to be effective for you too. So there's a lot of benefits. There's some misconceptions about probiotics and, and they are that when you consume these and you consume fermented food, that they colonize us, they replace the bad bacteria. So there's no doubt that you know our microbes are so critical to health that if they change and cause or help to cause an adverse health situation, that it's in our interest to try and correct that. And so people say, well, we'll take some probiotics to try and change our microbiota. But in reality, you know, most probiotics go in and they go out and, and they don't stick around. And that's because, you know, each person has their own group of microbes. And the best way to change your microbes is through diet. Uh, the more extreme way, and we haven't talked about it, is fecal microbiota transplant. And we, we can touch on that later on. But probiotics do work. There's some good clinical studies behind them for certain conditions. For example, we know that they can improve things like intestinal permeability. When we're more unwell, we tend to have poorer intestinal permeability and we get a little bit of leakage from our GI tract you know, of microbes and food components into our system. And that causes a little bit more inflammation and that can exacerbate certain conditions. But we know probiotics can help that. So what I would say is that I don't think you're going to do any harm by consuming probiotics. And you need to really look at the management of how you feel about uh, a product. So some people, you know, have amazing transformations after taking probiotics with regards to how they feel. I've certainly seen that with, you know, mild sufferers of irritable bowel disease and other things like that, where, where they have worked quite well. But it, it is not a miracle cure. And mm. people need to understand that there is many scientific reasons why these work uh, for some conditions. There's probiotics for the you know oral cavity now, touted to reduce bad breath and dental caries and, and those sorts of things. So, you know, microbes are important at other sites as well. And so those sorts of products exist. And we're going to see a lot more probiotic products probably come onto the market as we find that new bacterial strains, which play incredibly important roles in our health, are purified and isolated and then commercialized. And we're starting to see that with some next generation probiotics for measurement, uh, for, for maintenance of insulin and, and other things like that, and, and type 2 diabetes for, for more the mild types of that disease. Wow. As you said, I guess, and th is this, uh, you said like 15 years ago, I mean, I guess most people, lay people, had not really, weren't aware of probiotics. So, and, and I'm sure, as you said, the research is really accelerating now, eh? I mean... It, yeah, it, re research is accelerating because it's been found that the microbiota is basically, well, it has some sort of role in just about every human system. And about 10 years ago, we, we did a study... And it was with some collaborators and they were looking at a heart failure model and giving probiotics in this heart failure model. And it actually worked and I couldn't believe it. And even as a scientist in this area, it was astounding to me that something that's happening at the gut is making an 
impact somewhere else in the body. And since that moment, I, I've really, you know, gone on to work in a number of other areas in collaboration here in London. And, you know, we, we've had some really interesting results now with oncology, working with groups, you know, in London to show the benefits of giving a microbiome transplant with oncology therapy and improving you know, the, the outcomes for those patients. So, you know, the, the microbiome is just embedded into everything. And we've had this philosophy of wanting to kill bacteria and, and it worked quite well for us for some time. So if you look at the, the life expectancy of people 150 years ago, it was, you know, something like 40 years of age you could hope to live. And then we started to introduce better hygiene, washing hands, pasteurizing milk, sewerage lines, clean drinking water. And that really helped us and it helped us a great deal. But as part of that process, we started to miss out on the exposure to some of those microorganisms that may have provided us some benefit. So while, you know, antibiotics, for example, probably the greatest advancement, you know, that the medical community has had, you know, we can actually misuse those on occasion and not just with regards to antibiotic resistance, but because when we use an antibiotic, we accidentally wipe out some of those good guys that really help us. So yeah, there's been this great advancement in hygiene, but we might have missed, you know, some of the good guys that help us in this regard. So we're starting to look at, you know, how can we prolong our lives even further and we need to fine-tune our relationship with our own microbiome to do that. And we've looked at the microbiome of really old people. And we did a study in China and we found that the people that survived a long time and really healthy had a microbiome that looked like someone who was in their 30s. So people that get sick and get old quite often in the intestinal tract microbiome, the diversity of their microbes drop off. But in these super healthy people, it was really high still. And that was really promoted through simple living and, you know, good diet and things like that. You referred to fecal microbiotic transplant. Actually, we, we spoke with Dr. Michael Silverman about fecal microbiotic transplants. And anyone who desires some more information on that, just uh, check out, that was episode nine. Maybe just touch briefly on what that is. Yeah, so, so it's funny, it's been actually used for thousands of years. It's really the, the process of transferring feces, stool, from a healthy person to a diseased person. And probably its more modern approach, you know, started off in the First World War when soldiers and were getting dysentery and they found that consumption of healthy fecal sample would fix that. If you skip forward to the modern day situation, we have people that get recurrent infectious disease, which cannot be cured by antibiotics or probiotics or anything else, but now is cured by a fecal microbiota transplant. It's, it's a little bit more of a refined process these days. It started off with enema, but actually now here at St. Joe's, it's capsule and it's, you know, encapsulated and no one has any idea what the treatment really is if you were to look at the treatment. 
but that's been incredibly successful, almost 100% success rate. Whereas before, the options were having your colon removed, more severe disease or even death potentially. So it's been a wonderfully successful treatment for that. But because, you know, there's all these new links to the microbiome, people have got said, well, maybe we can use fecal microbiota transplant to help in other conditions. If the microbiome is so linked to these other conditions, we should try it. And that's exactly what we've been doing experimentally. And under very, it's been a very safe uh, therapy, very successful therapy. So there's been a number of studies done. And really, I think probably the most successful one is uh, with our partners on, in oncology, where we've combined it with an immune therapy and we've actually improved the outcome of compared to just using that immune therapy by itself. So I'm sure that in the future, it's going to be used in a number of other conditions, um, but it still is an experimental therapy just to, to put some perspective on it because it's actually, you know, you can't just use any stool sample. The, the people that give the donor stool, you know, are very thoroughly screened. And if you believe that the microbiome can make a difference, in, in conditions that aren't actually, you know, microbe associated, you have to screen them for all the conditions because, you know, there's links, for, you know, of the microbiome to mental health, to metabolic diseases. So we have to be really careful with where that still comes from because we don't want to give those people another illness. Well, uh, <laughs> <laughs> a lot to digest, but uh, I, it's been a fascinating conversation, Dr. Burton. I think we've uh, we've learned a lot there about uh, this whole world, and I uh, appreciate you taking the time to join us here today. My pleasure. That's it for this episode of the Doc Talks podcast. Thanks for joining us. And join us next time when we'll continue our conversation on what's new and relevant in the world of Canadian medicine and hospital healthcare. Be sure to subscribe and follow us on Facebook and Twitter at St. Joseph's London. Or visit sjhc.london.on.ca slash podcast. Until then, stay healthy. Stay healthy.